Books, The Final Frontier. These are the discussions of the podcast Sword and Laser, its continuing mission to explore strange new science fiction and fantasy novels, to seek out new characters and new beverages, to boldly read where no one has read before. Go to patreon.com slash sword and laser to join the mission. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. And we're very pleased that you took this time to join us today. Yeah, no, always, always appreciative of the audience. Mm hmm. Um, also, I have to say, the last uh, thread in Goodreads for the last two weeks ago episode mm. was mm-hmm. like really vibrant. There was like a lot of really great conversation happening. So if you're, if you're feeling like you're missing out on being, you know, in the convo about the episodes, if you feel like you want to chat with other folks, goodreads.com slash sword and laser, there is all kinds of discussion happening all the time. And I was like, Oh my God, there's like 45 comments for this episode. But like, that's awesome. Like if that were a blog post and you had 45 comments on your blog post, you'd be like, wow, yeah, right. that was a okay. really great blog post. I mean, I'm not taking it personally that that happened, you know. That it was when I came back. Yeah, at all. No, it wasn't the first episode. I mean, the, the other one had a lot of comments too, but this one especially, I think now that people realized I was back and so they started trickling mm-hmm. back in. They started coming back yeah, to the show. Yeah, like found out via social media. <laughs> like, oh, it's <laughs> safe to listen again. You're Veronica's right. back. <laughs> Just kidding. Kidding. Um, Just kidding. Only. Oh my god, you guys! Like totally kidding. All right, um, I'm not drinking anything. Uh, well, actually, I, I was gonna say I'm not drinking anything crazy, but maybe this is crazy for some people. It's called uh, Milkies. M I L K I S. It's a. Um, this is gonna freak some people out, and other people are gonna nod their head. Milk soda. Is it like Calpis? Calpis? It is. Calpis. For- it is it is like Kalpis, uh, the uh, Japanese uh, the Japanese drink. Except Milkies is a Korean version of that. Oh, nice! And so, what is the what is the flavor profile? Um, creamy, <laughs> cream, cream, sugar, cream, cream. They Does have other like flavors. They have like strawberry, melon, banana. But I'm just drinking the. I was drinking the straight ahead original flavor. Drinking that but, yeah, straight like, shit. Yeah, it's just uh it's a it's like a milky, sugary milky flavor. With some citrus. It's is there like carbonation. Calpis. Yeah, is yeah there car- it's carbonation. There is carbonation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carbonation. <laughs> carbonation. Um I'm not drinking something carbonated. I'm or drinking with milk. Or I with milk. I'm drinking a Syrah, lovely Syrah this evening. Yes, uh, Syrah. From Bink. Yes. Yes. Yes, Syrah. <laughs> uh, Syrah um, from where? Bink. Bink. B-I-N-K. Bink. Bink. Yeah, it's in, um, Hmm. I think it's in Anderson Valley. Okay. Up north here. Your milky discussion made me think of something completely unrelated. Um, But I've been, have you noticed, this is a bit of a rabbit hole, rat hole, whatever. All right. Jump on your rabbits, folks. (laughs) Your loins are girded. I assume um, people uh, mount their rabbits and ride them down into the hole. That. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, have you noticed that maybe there one is of those sentences new... I, I I most regret ever having said? Uh, I'm sorry, you were saying. <laughs> have you ever noticed that there is a new car color palette mm. that looks like they took the color and they mixed it with milk? Yes, it's a pa- it's called pastel. <laughs> Well, no, I know, I know what you're talking about, though, because it's not exactly pastel. It, yeah. There's a very pastel-like car color palette. We call yeah, them yeah. milkies. Yeah. Oh, they do? No, I do. Oh, you do? I do. And they're, they're pretty popular in Toyotas. The mm-hmm. they're, they're especially, I see them a lot in Toyotas. I see them sometimes in Subarus. Um, but it's like a like a creamy yeah, version. Yeah, creamsicle kind of. Yeah. Look. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And sometimes, like, if there's a brown version, it's almost like a khaki. It's like the flavored version of the milky soda. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I find them soothing. Um, so moving on. <laughs> Do you? Okay, good. <laughs> well, you said your drink was milky, and so I wanted I to tell you about you the milky cars. I thought you were going to be complaining about them no. for some reason, and you're like, at the uh, it, there was a twist at the end yeah, of that no, story. Yeah, no, I like them. I like them. <laughs> um, not that now is a good time to buy a new car. It's a terrible time to buy Great a new car. Great time to sell a car. Yeah. Um, all right, let's jump into the quick burns. Mark pointed out that the 2021 Locus Award winners were announced. Best science fiction novel went to Network yeah, Effect by Martha Wells. Right. Best fantasy novel went to The City We Became Sick. by M.K. Jemison. Best horror novel, Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Ooh, all right. Best young adult novel, A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher. Don't know it. Best first novel, <laughs> Alatsue by Darcy Little Badger. Heck yeah. And best novella, Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark. Heard it, haven't read it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Heard of it, mm-hmm. rather. And lots yeah. of others. There's more, but the, you know, those are the uh, those are a few of your locust winners. Thank you, Mark. Can I be a downer? Mm, you I'm sure you can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm capable, thank you. I'm You're no very doubt. capable. You can do it. Uh, all right. This is going to bump some people out. Um, hold on. Now I need to remember the name of the book that I just read. <laughs> I read it. Oh, Belmont. Why can't you have anything ready in your mind? Well, especially if you're building people up to a downer. Yeah, that's okay. Here I go. So okay. I just read uh, Certain Dark Things by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Okay. And it's a vampire novel that takes place in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And it was like super hyped, like people like it came out a while ago and it didn't get the attention it deserved because of all this issue with the publishers. Mm. And so it kind of became like a cult classic and it was going for like a hundred bucks on eBay. Like people were really like super excited about this book. And so they did a, uh, a re-release, they, they did a repress. And so it's just, it's, it's just coming out like very recently, like either last month or this month. And so I read it like through NetGalley and Mm. it was fine, but I don't understand the hype. I don't Mm. get it. Uh, It felt, it read to me very much like almost like a YA kind of vampire novel, maybe a little more graphic with the violence than you might get in like a Twilight. Do you think... It's a case of a deserving book uh, getting a boost from a backlash. A if, backlash? If you know I mean. Well, the backlash mm-hmm. against the the publisher not being oh. able to originally mm-hmm. promote it the way it should have been and people going like, try, let's rally to the cause. And then it became people's identities, you know. Yeah. Caught up in it. And it's also a good book. It's it's, it's not yeah, like it's a good book. You know, it's not like it's a it's a bad book. 
but then if but that kind of helps kind of propel it to people talking it up even more i don't know i think so and also it's very like foundational in terms mm. of like vampire mythology like there's a lot of really interesting vampire mythology that i think people kind of were attracted to yeah and plus it, it's interesting because we don't get a lot of historically a lot of vampire books set in mexico mm-hmm. or you know talking about basically non-european vampire types um so i thought that was that was interesting well, yeah. um that, that that alone that's could explain. cool yeah, Super the, cool. ni- the niche aspect, way into vampires and it had good lore. Also, mm-hmm. unique Very vampires, vampires I haven't been exposed to before, you know, areas that I haven't been exposed to before. I mean, that alone could explain it. Then you add in what I was saying before about, you know, sort of the backlash boost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so that's just my my dumb way of saying that I was I got too hyped on a book and that it didn't quite live up to the hype expectations. I, I always call that the Jurassic Park effect. Jurassic Park is the finest book and finest movie adaptation of our time. I didn't see the movie when it first came to theaters. Everybody Mm -hmm. hyped it up, told me how amazing it was. And so like I got to the theaters a few weeks later and saw it and I'm like, yeah, it was good. I had been so hyped that I didn't experience the awe and surprise that everybody else had. What possible level of hype could you even have gotten into to not recognize it as one of the finest cinematic achievements of our era? What year did that come out? I was in fifth grade. Sixth grade. I was in sixth grade. 1993. Um, So That tracks. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, So you were what, like 35? (laughs) <laughs> I wish. <laughs> uh, no, I was. I would have been twenty three, and uh, and and so kind of snotty because you're tw- you know twenty three. Yeah. Okay. What? That's fair. What is so funny about that? I nothing. That I'm way younger than I than you thought. I <laughs> no, that I was still in sixth grade and you were twenty three. And I was twenty three. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Tom just had his birthday, so he's particularly 50, sensitive so he's right 51, now. He's fifty one. Is what you have to say. <sighs> It's okay. We're all old. It's fine. We're old souls. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the whole point being like, it w- it's exactly what you're talking about, where I did wasn't in any way disappointed by the movie and enjoyed the movie, but I felt like I didn't get the, the hype mm-hmm. because I'd been hyped so much. Do you appreciate it now more? I don't know that or I appreciate it like- more. I still like it. I think it's great. It's just, it's that that jaw drop, right? The coming out uh-huh. of the of the theater going like, I, I had no idea. Oh my gosh, I was getting that from people. And because of that, I had an idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? I see. Yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite movie. Is it really? It's your like all-time yes. favorite movie? Wow. Yes. That's great. I love that. Well, because dinosaurs. I should, I should be known. I do really um, like dinosaurs. Yeah, we only have 13 more quick hits to go. <laughs> All right. So uh, Trek birds. says Sorry. NPR's Science Friday has a list of new science fiction books to read. Some of these I hadn't heard of despite all the other lists going. And it's over on sciencefriday.com. And let's see. Are there any here that we have not been particularly? Yeah, already. I'm scrolling through and I don't know any of these except for Sauroland. Well, these are the Robert books. Co- yeah, a lot of them are, are mm-hmm. like just coming. Coming out, you know, new, haven't been around, not, not your, uh, not your awards, uh, award nominees books. Um, and they got people like Annalie Newitz to do picks. So these are, you know, like, oh, I, I am looking through my galleys and these, these are the ones I really enjoyed. 
I am feeling like I really need to read something by P. DeShelley Clark because you're it on this list again. that name yeah. keeps coming up over and over and over again on like every list that I'm looking at. And I, I feel like I need to know what's going on over there in, yep. in Clark's world. Very cool. Uh, Chris Dose pointed out that Netflix released another Witcher season two trailer. Yes! <laughs> that, that's exactly why this is in the lineup to hear Veronica do that. That's all there is. I'm not going to watch it right now. I'll watch it later, but I'm stoked. You didn't watch it yet? What? I didn't watch it yet. I'm sorry. I was doing other things. When is it? When is it coming? It's coming out in the fall. Fall? We need more details. Details. I'm pretty sure it's the fall. I'm, I'm, my stoke is high though. Jan says, actor, singer, songwriter, multi-talent, Janelle Monet has sold the science fiction, short fiction collection, The Memory Librarian, and other stories from Dirty Computer to Harper Voyager. Monet collaborated on the book with other writers. It expands on the Afro-futuristic world she created in her 2018 album, Dirty Computer. It is set to be released April 2022. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm... Incredibly impressed by Ms. Monet. Yeah, uh, seriously. You know, it's like she's the Shohei Otani of arts. That's a baseball player that both pitches and bats, which is unusual. In case I get could, it. Yeah, doesn't get that. Or right. you could say the Madison Bumgarner. Mm, mm. I don't think. Mm, mm. Not the same. I mean, I don't like him as much now because he plays for the D-backs. And does but, look, but also doesn't actually like lead the league in hum, home runs and ERA at the same time. That okay, guy. maybe not lead the leagues, but he was like yeah. definitely a slugger. But Otani DHs when he's not pitching. DH when you're not pitching. <laughs> I do. Your mom DHs your mom, sometimes. Your She's very good, DH. too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm impressed by her bat speed. <laughs> That's what she uh, said. Steven says, I'm a big fan of SPFBO. I don't know if that acronym works. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it becomes a little long at that point. Uh, it stands for self-published fantasy blog off, uh, which is on year seven. Anyway, it's mm-hmm, awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if the acronym doesn't work. Started by Mark Lawrence and 10 book bloggers. It introduced me to a slew of new authors and cheap eBooks to read. Now, previous Sword and Laser Book of the Month author Hugh Howie of Wool fame is doing it for science fiction. The SPSFC self-published <laughs> science fiction contest is now a thing. If you have a self-published science fiction tale, who could that be? Right, Stephen. You have July 1st to the 21st to enter the contest. As the tagline goes, 300 books, 10 judges, one winner. This year's winner of SPFBO6, The Lost War, was one of the best books I've read this year and only $2.99 or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Looking forward to the science fiction edition of the contest. You should, um, you should put your books in. One of your books which, in. Which one should I put? I don't know. Which one is your favorite? You've written like 45. Which of your children is your... Oh, you only have one. Never mind. I only have one. <laughs> that's easy. I mean, are, are we counting dogs? <laughs> oh, which of your dogs is your that favorite? That changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, wouldn't make, I wouldn't make you reveal who you'd pick, including your dogs and your child, but which of your two dogs is your favorite? I mean, you wouldn't make me pick because it would be Bodega, but which one would I choose? <laughs> Who knows? There's no way of knowing. No, uh, anyway, seriously. works must be at least 50,000 words, must be a novel, Done. not an anthology, one book per mm-hmm. author. Done. Um, yeah, I review your applications. Oh, okay. 
I, I don't know which one to pick. I should do this. You're right. Just You're do it. Right. Just do I it. Do Who it. cares? Just do it. You've already written the book. It's not like you have to write I've a new book. I've written like 12. I just got to figure like out. You've written a million which, books. I just got to figure out which one to put in there. Well. <laughs> I'm not. You act like I'm You objecting. don't have a favorite? I don't really. They're all different. Okay. Maybe well, lot beta. Lot beta seems like the most. I'm trying to. F- here I am. I'm sitting here strategizing like which one could win, not which yeah. one's my favorite. Yeah. Well, hmm. I mean, that's a reasonable way to think. But I think you should go with your heart. I can't do Pilot X because it wasn't self published. Oh. Because so you Pilot did X and Trigger are right out. It would I have might have to said be, Pilot X then. I, I probably would have yeah. said Pilot X. It would have to be like Lot Beta, Citadel 32, or Gallium, I think. I mean, I'm biased towards Gallium, personally. But. <laughs> Should I submit the audiobook? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's not good because it's not an audiobook contest. <laughs> good. Well, wait a minute. It, hold on. I saw there was a, a prize for cover. Is there an audiobook? part of it no there's a best cover contest um yeah no well that i mean you could probably win that too from one of your well, covers Scott are great or somebody would win it yeah yeah but still i don't i don't make the covers i know all right anyway i think you should think about it and i think yeah. that is kind of what steven I think you're was right. yeah. insinuating thank you steven Jan says the winners of the 2021 Kurd Lasvitz Prize for the best German science fiction works and translations have been announced. Oh, boy. Jan. All right. I'm just going to read. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's the test of your mom brain. Oh, Jan, Jan, Jan. Best German SF novel is Eins Menschenflügel. <laughs> Probably The Wings of Man by Andreas X. Eschbach. Eschbach? No, you nailed it the first time. Cool. Eschbach. It is set in the same universe as The Carpet Maker. It's one of his few novels translated in- into English. Best foreign SF work published in German is Tales from the Loop. Okay, I've watched that. By Swedish artist Simon Stalinhog. Stalinhog. This narrative art book about an alternate 1980s world has been published in English already in 2015 and has been adapted as a series for Amazon Prime Video in 2020. We always say, please, sir, may I have some loop? <laughs> That's what we say when we watch that show. And best SF translation into German is An Old Acquaintance, The Broken Earth by N.K. Jemison, which was translated into German by Suzanne Gerald. And if anyone wants to have a 90s website flashback, here's a link to the official website of the Kurd Lasvitz Prize, which is, let me repeat myself, a science fiction prize. All right, I need to see. Are you clapping my pronunciation? Yeah, yeah. Thank the you. The only time you said it, any of them wrong was when you doubted yourself and changed it. I should have just like yeah, gone you, with it. You should have barreled through. That was, that was perfect. Thank you. Uh, Louis says something big is coming, revealing John mm. Scalzi's The Kaiju Preservation Society. John Scalzi returns with his first standalone adventure since the conclusion of the New York Times bestselling Hugo-nominated Interdependency Trilogy. Uh, and his publisher says, we are pleased to share the cover for The Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi, an adventure of epic proportions, literally. <laughs> 
Are you going to do the radio ads? <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, the cover is, looks like a, you know, like a key card, you know, like an mm-hmm. ID tag from a workplace, except it says Kaiju Preservation Society, John Scalzi. Very cool. Tomahome says the new trailer for Foundation for Apple is out and they've announced it's coming out September 24th. It looks I feel like good. I feel like it's been a long time coming. It has been, but it's one of those things where it's gone from somebody optioned it. We'll see. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, it's been optioned mm-hmm. before. Nobody made it to like, huh, looks like they've attached a director. Hmm. Well, we'll see if it actually makes it to like, we're getting it. September 24th. There's a full trailer. It's really happening. We're going to see the foundation turned into a TV show. So, yeah. Pretty exciting. I just can't sign up for another service. I have too many services. You don't have Apple TV Plus for free? Somehow? Why would I? What would because give me that? They gave it away free if you bought pretty much anything from Apple for a good six months. And then they <laughs> kept extending that. the free trial throughout the entire pandemic. I don't think I did that. It was that. almost hard to avoid getting it for free. <laughs> If you bought any kind of Apple thing anyway, if you're no, an Android person, obviously, all right. obviously, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mark uh, wrote that good omens, the nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutter, Witch season two has been ordered by Amazon. Yeah. Yay. We're getting more good omens. Season two will explore storylines that go beyond the original source material to illuminate the uncanny friendship between Aziraphale, a fussy angel and rare book dealer and the fast living demon Crowley having been on earth since the beginning and with the apocalypse now thwarted, Azaraphale and Crowley are getting back to easy living amongst mortals <laughs> in London's Soho when an unexpected messenger presents a surprising mystery. Now, for those of you who have already rolled your eyes and groaned and said, why do they have to extend it? There was no second book. It's just going to ruin things. This is going to be made based on notes that Pratchett and Gaiman made for a second novel that they never got around to write. <gasps> Cool. So it's got Pratchett's input into it, uh, at least story-wise. And Gaiman is going to be there for the, you know, the writing and putting together of the story for season two. Nice. Yeah. I'm excited. I think it's fine to go beyond the source material. I mean, I would just like more in that world. There yeah. is, feels like there's more story to tell. Obviously, the authors thought so as well. So more power to them. It can go wrong, as <laughs> many I mean, Game clearly. of Thrones fans think has uh but but it can also go right and uh, this is set up to go right because you're working from the minds of gaiman and pratchett totally yeah i'm extremely excited about that that is i loved that show and i'm i'm ready for more me too Mark says, when you view the back of the Jade Legacy Advanced Reader copy by Fonda Lee with the Google Lens app on your phone a video pops up of Fonda Lee Talking about her book. That's pretty Pretty cool. Yeah. And Fonda Lee tweeted the video of it going like, this is the coolest thing ever. So I think it was maybe not a surprise, but maybe a surprise at how cool it looked when it actually showed up. I love the idea of, you know, AR for books with that kind of stuff, like to kind of bring you Mm -hmm. more into the book world or give you a, a bigger connection with the, with the author. I think that's a really cool use of augmented reality. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've noticed QR codes really catching on. What's interesting mm-hmm. about this is I didn't think it used a QR code. I think it just recognized the back of the book. Yeah, it's funny because there's like a little code in the bottom left of the uh-huh. book cover that I think just tells you to look at it uh-huh. with 
Google Lens. I don't think it's actually triggering. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, you know, when you think about it, a QR code is just an image that tells software to do something. Yeah. And so oh, why couldn't see a this QR exact code image. just be the image, yeah. right, mm-hmm. be the back of the book? Right. Um, that's neat. All right. Well, now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. And Mark is back to say the Sword and Laser Wiki has a new page that could use some eyeballs. Sword and Laser goes to the movies where we can go to learn which SNL picks have been adapted for movie, TV, or radio. Remember radio? Most of the links go to IMDb <laughs> and books like Dune, which has been adapted several times, currently only has a link to the David Lynch film. This is just to get started. Take a look and add links or corrections as needed. So cool. Yeah, this is great. And and as he warns, it's not done yet. So if you're like, hey, wait a minute, this is missing contribute it <laughs> totally you can make it not be missing oh my god there's so many hobbits in here there's so many watership downs yeah. i mean there's there's that's the cool thing is that you can see all the different versions of of specific things but yeah a lot of hobbits a lot of watership downs a couple of earth seas um a couple of and do androids dream of electric sheep um so yeah there's this is yeah i mean for something that's not exhaustive this is bordering on exhaustive. <laughs> yeah, it's all its way, <laughs> like, for sure. <laughs> it just needs like a little more help. Um, and it reminds me about, uh, I'm just scrolling through and I saw Cersei and that's in development and I'm super excited about that one. And there's a lot here that is um, happening. Like apparently Vessel is in development. I didn't know Vessel was in development. That's news yeah, to me. That's cool. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of really cool stuff here. And if you ever want to like do a movie night, you can scroll through and, and find something to, to watch that is sword and lasery. Episode 414. That's the episode we're doing right now. Drake mm-hmm. Tunston recently listened to episode 308 and tweeted the following. First two minutes of episode 308, Ace Detect. Someone did bring their infant to the wedding I was at. Veronica, don't infants just scream incessantly and poop? Hmm. Veronica of episode 414. Can you confirm to Veronica of episode 308? They definitely poop. Um, yeah. The only experience I have with a, with a small infant, not as much screaming. Um, okay. A lot right. of, a lot of not sleeping. But not can screaming. Confirm. Sometimes those go together. The not yeah. sleeping and the screaming. Yeah. yeah. Mine's pretty good at the not screaming so far. So fingers oh, crossed. Great. It stays uh, so that way. Your, your child inherited your not screaming. Is that a thing I not do? I've not I feel seen like you scream, scream a, lot. a lot. I mean, I've seen maybe seen you scream a couple of times, but not not all the time. It's not mostly internal. Right it's mostly internal. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. All right. Tomahome says at Sword and Laser. Good luck pronouncing consider Flebus, Veronica. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Tomahome, but this is a new era. <gasps> Pretty much. Because I've said it a lot of different ways in my head throughout the years. <laughs> so this is maybe the first wrong, time I've said but it out I, loud. I think, I think it's that. I think that's Leap what it us. is. We also have this from the Goodreads. Uh, Mark posted, Veronica and Tom briefly discussed Maurice LeBlanc Arsène's Lupin, Lupin, who was featured in a Netflix series that I haven't watched yet, <laughs> but plan to. In LeBlanc's novel, The Blonde Lady, being a record of the duel of wits between Arsène Lupin and the English detective, the name of the English detective varies by publisher and edition. 
He's known as Herlock Shloms in the U.S. translation and Holmlock Shears in U.K. translations. <laughs> However, there are a few editions of the book where he's known by his true name. Yeah, I did. I did realize that later um, that there I, I looking through the comments on the on the episode. I did get a lot of heads up that there were actually versions of the uh, Lupin series where it is Sherlock Holmes. And but I guess the the estate um, mm. of Doyle was like not happy with this. And so even as far back as like 1906 was yeah. like, we're not cool with this <laughs> and gave them a hard time. So it was related, but yeah, it wasn't always made up. And I honestly didn't know, even though these were real books, these books are that old. That Apparently. Is, oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy. So I, I learned a lot from this. So that's pretty cool. Um, another Tamahome, um, Miyazaki of Princess Mononoke, many other films fame, actually directed an animated Lupin film years ago, The hmm. Castle of Cagliostro. Um, she says, <sighs> he says, sorry, God, I did it again. I did it again. I misgendered Tamahome. <laughs> ah, okay. He says, I believe it's on HBO Max, but then Louie says it's actually on Netflix. Well, uh, before you all go running around, uh, it could be on Netflix in some places and HBO Max in the U.S. Oh, touche. But I don't know. Louis may be in the U.S., in which case Louis right. But I could I, I, I haven't checked. Let me look, actually. Uh, it makes sense because I thought all that stuff was on HBO Max here in the U.S. But if you're not in the U.S., you may not have it on HBO Max or you may not even have HBO Max. Um, Castle. Why are we still talking about this? Of Cagliostro. Because <laughs> I want to f- get it right. Cagliostro. Whatever. Lupin the Third uh, is on Netflix in the US. So there you go. Sweet. I want to watch that. That sounds fun. Mm, sorry. It's on Netflix. That's what you just said. In the US. I'm in the US. Are you? And I have Netflix. <laughs> I have all the things except <laughs> Apple TV, <laughs> Disney Plus. <laughs> but weirdly, I watch well, all the shows anyway. Yeah. All right. Um, let's hop into the book of the month discussion. Um, so, yeah. Tell me about why you picked Consider Libas. So I threw a note in the Discord, uh, the Sword and Laser Discord, one day and said, hey, people in the Discord, I'm going to pick a July pick. What should I pick? And there were a lot of great suggestions. uh, And I have squirreled away some of those for future pick ideas. But Fredericks suggested Ian Banks. And while it wasn't necessarily overwhelmingly the the favorite suggestion made, uh, it did not get rejected by people. It it was talked Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. And that suggestion combined with the fact that Banks is one of those icons of science fiction that it's probably best to read at some point, you know, uh-huh. just he's considered one of the greats. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, even if you don't like it, you can have an informed opinion on the canon of sci-fi. Uh, I figured we should start reading some Ian Banks. We've been wanting to do it for years, just hadn't got around to it. So uh, I picked Consider Phlebas because it is the first book. And there are some people who say it's not the best place to start. You can start with other books and maybe you should. And there's kind of a consensus opinion about which one, if it, if you don't start at the beginning, but I, when I didn't start 
Martha Wells at the beginning. There were so many people who were like, not not been out of shape, but just uncomfortable that I'm like, this time we'll start at the beginning. We won't do it again. We just did it with Martha Wells. So we'll, we'll definitely start at the beginning. So now we've got people uncomfortable like, yeah, but it's not the best banks. And it might turn you off banks Aww. because there's other banks, you know, because there's always there's always something. But just know that, yes, I was thinking about all of those considerations uh, and and decided to go with Consider Phlebas to to say like look it is banks too so you, if you're gonna read it for for canonical purposes you should start with the first one and and I know there's there's the same folks who are uncomfortable with not reading the first Murderbot uh, sh- short story um, as part of reading Network Effect are definitely very pleased that we're starting with the first one from Banks. Good. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough when you do a series because it's always going to be differing opinions on what the best novel is. And yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm excited. I mean, this is a a, a big gap in my science fiction knowledge. Um, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, the, the series is called the culture series. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's about an interstellar post-scarcity society called the culture. Uh, the, the, the book consider Phlebas is a space opera story set around the Adrian culture war, uh, he wrote it just after he wrote The Wasp Factory in 1984 and then rewrote it for publication in 1987, and it kicked off his science fiction career. He was a mainstream novelist and, and known as Ian Banks yes. uh, as a mainstream yeah. novelist. So if you see Ian M. Banks, you'll know it's one of his genre novels. All right. Well, let's let's do a quick wrap up of Piranesi uh, by Susanna Clark. Uh, this was my pick for the month of June. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think we've we've touched on this a little bit. And um, there were some really great discussion threads happening over on Goodreads. Um, but one of the things that I kind of wanted to kick off with was um, this discussion that we had about kind of the the basis for the name, I guess, in a way. Mm. Uh, Jan says, hi, everyone. For anyone who has finished the book. Oh, and of course, by the way, this is going to be a spoilery discussion. Oh, right. To wrap Good up. point. Yeah. So if you haven't um, finished. Stop here. Flee now. <laughs> um, Fly. <laughs> um, Jan says, for anyone who has finished the book and doesn't know or hasn't read up on Giovanni Battista Piranesi yet, I thought that you might enjoy seeing the pictures of Carceri. Oh, mm, Carceri de... Invention or imaginary prisons that were invented by Giovanni Battista Piranesi in the 18th century, after whom Piranesi is so cleverly named. Wikipedia describes them as, quote, enormous subterranean vaults with stairs and mighty machines, and they are quite evocative when thinking of the house and how it may look and how the world sees the other world stuff as imaginary. Uh, William added that Giovanni Battisti Piranesi was also an archaeologist antiquarian who tried to preserve the past. And many aspects of the past that are treasured today were just seen as old stuff. Uh, that's always true. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's been true within my life where I'm, I, I've thrown something away because I'm like, I don't need this anymore. And then years later, I'm like, oh, I wish I still had that thing. It'd be so cool to see it now. Like, uh my old handspring visor, for instance. Anyway, uh, Piranesi, the the actual person, tried to record and preserve relics of the past and is famous for making engravings of monuments and even piecing together shattered artifacts like giant 3D jigsaws. Yeah, super cool. So if you if you go to the Wikipedia page, which we'll link to in the show notes, um, you can see some of his pictures and drawings. And 
They, I, I mean, there, there wasn't a lot of machinery necessarily in, um, in the novel, um, but the, the architecture and the, the layout and the designs, you can really start to, if you didn't already have a very strong picture in your mind of what the, the world looked like, um, then this can definitely help kind of start to frame that. It's, it's super cool. It reminds me of like old, almost old, like Leonardo da Vinci sketches of that period, perhaps, um, but much more, you know, architectural, uh, super cool stuff. And I, I had I, I knew that the name was based on something, um, but because I'd heard it referenced in, in reviews and things like that, but I hadn't taken the time to really dig into it. So I'm glad I'm glad Jan did the hard work for us and linked to all the right places because it's it's pretty cool to get some of that that backstory. Uh, we have another thread from Julia who brings up uh, a concern, and I was I was really heartened by this thread because I feel like people uh, discussed it in a respectful manner without mm-hmm. necessarily just, you know, agreeing. Uh, and, and so good on you sword and laser crowd. Uh, cause this, this is a, a tricky and important issue. Julia said in chapter three, we are introduced to the prophet, AKA Lawrence Aaron sales. And what we discover about him onward has really spoiled the book for me. We discovered through the course of the book that he was a manipulative transgressive thinker who also is gay. Not only is he gay, but he's the stereotypical villainous gay man who abuses and discards his younger partners, and I'm just so tired of this trope. First, being gay, even when it's illegal, isn't transgressive, yet it's used as part of the reason that Arn Sales is seen as transgressive. Sigh. Second, as I mentioned, his characterization of manipulative, immoral, and gay are based on some really harmful tropes that I'm tired of seeing. Anyway, this book came out in 2020, and I really don't see any reason for making Arn Sales gay, and a lot of reasons given his characterization not to. So this really ruined a book I enjoyed otherwise for me, and it was particularly hurtful on Pride Month. Not that I'm blaming Veronica for this. It's not like she knew this was coming. Was anyone else bothered by this? Yeah, so I I have to admit, like when we first met the prophet, I was like, oh, interesting character. And then when I learned that he was like, the, the the younger man that he kept as like prisoners i was like oh man like it did it did kind of bum me out um it definitely didn't ruin the novel for me um i can't i can't say that but i i can definitely understand the kind of like ugh, like ooh, why'd they have to go there like there there could have been many other ways that susanna clark could have could have gone or, or depictions or just not made him gay. And that would have been, you know, totally reasonable. Uh, there's really great discussions in here and I don't want to, to like try to paraphrase people too much because I think that the nuance in this discussion is really important. Um, so if you want to kind of dive into this conversation, I think it's, it's super interesting. And yeah, of course I had, I had no idea, um, that this character was in there or that there was going to be a depiction like that. Um, and a lot of people did did kind of say like they didn't even realize he was gay. Yeah. And there was some of that um I did realize that because he they there was a line um in the novel. I'm trying to pull it out because a couple of people referenced it specifically. It it is it is he it is both made clear through implication and at least in one point through attestation. Uh, by yeah, another they, I, character. They, they say something like he was he was gay before it was before it was illegal. Oh, when it, like was. That. it was, he was gay when, when it was, was illegal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I 
tend to fall along the lines of Ruth. Uh, he was gay when this. it was still illegal. Yeah. yeah. Ruth says, I don't presume to speak for OP, but no, I don't think that anyone is saying that an author can't have a gay villain. I think what people want, and certainly what I want, is writers who create thoughtful, nuanced, and diverse casts of characters and who mm-hmm. don't lean on harmful stereotypes. So there's no reason why you shouldn't write a villain who happens to be gay, but I just like it when their sexuality is presented as the reason why they're villainous. I think there's legitimate debate to be had about whether Arn is presented as villainous because he is gay or if his uh, sexuality is seen to contribute to his villainousness as a character. Uh, and when I say there's there's room for discussion, I don't think it's clear one way or the other. Uh, I think it's vague. And I think that's probably what bothered Julia is that, you know, it, it was a bit of a throwaway. There are other gay characters in the book, uh, but none of them are as deep as Arn. And we actually don't know the sexuality of some of the other characters in the book. That could have helped uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think it's that, it's that vagary that gives it's not that it is a commission, a, a sin of commission where they're like, and he's villainous because he's gay. It's that it leaves it where that could be the implication. There's yeah. a, there's a whiff of that in there. And I think that's what bugged Julia and why some people didn't even catch on that the character was gay because it was so vague because it was so, so wispy. So I think Julia brings up a great point worth discussion for sure. And and like I said, it was a really good discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I I appreciate threads like that um, big time because it, it, it tends to, to give voice to feelings that I have, that I haven't been able to properly articulate Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. while I'm actually reading and, and not only give voice to that, but also give opposing opinions that help kind of balance that perspective um, and kind of help form you know, my own, my own thoughts around the matter. Um, and it's really interesting to kind of have realizations like, oh yeah, I, that did make me feel uncomfy. And I didn't realize why at the time, why? Hmm. but now that I'm reading it, it's kind of crystallizing for me. Um, I, I think it's, uh, if I had to go out on a limb myself, I think it's a victim of the context in which it is published. Uh, if if that story comes out after some imaginary time where we're not needing to have diverse stories because diverse stories are common, then it doesn't stick out as much, right? It's like, oh, this this character's a villain, and it doesn't matter that he's mm-hmm. gay. Um, but but you know, I'd, I'd be willing to entertain why that's not the case, and maybe there's you know some more forceful representation in here uh, and connections between his villainy and his sexuality that I missed. Uh, it's per- perfectly possible. Yeah. It was really just the whole keeping someone tied up in your house thing. And then, well, yeah, you know, that's bad. <laughs> doesn't matter. Gay, vanquishing gay, them to an imaginary yeah, until they a- lose their asexual, mind. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, just don't do that. Um, Jan is back again. Jan being like basically a third co-host for this episode. Good. Yeah. Good Mark, Jan, yeah. Mark had a bunch of quick burns as did Jan. And Jan is like, you pulling ahead here in the, uh, in the comments. Did you hear, did you hear me? Did you hear my, what I said? What, what'd Good you Yanya. say? Monica? Good Yanya. But that was funny. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Jan says Piranesi is a very unique, unreliable narrator and probably what makes most of the charm of the novel to me. Nevertheless, had anyone else had the feeling that there's a more traditional narrative in the book in there where we follow 
Raphael, unraveling the mystery of Matthew Rose Sorensen's disappearance and her struggles in the police. I mean, Piranesi is unusually passive for a protagonist, I feel, and many would argue you would need a more active force at the center of the story, or at least have it be a dual POV story. What do you think? That's another interesting perspective, and it's very similar to the point Julia brought up, which is, uh, why is this story told from Piranesi's point of view? Why not Raphael's? Couldn't we have a female narrator? Couldn't we have a female, uh, strong female protagonist? Why, why are we focused on Piranesi? And it's an artistic choice. I, hate the tro- I have to say, I hate the trope of strong female protagonist. Can it yeah. just be a female protagonist? Right. Well, but also Raphael is particularly strong. So yeah, she's yeah. badass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I get, I get what you're saying. It, you know, it, it, it should just, yeah, Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. That was no, a totally no, no, no. different it's a good conversation. Point. Uh, they, it's it's like uh, a female protagonist isn't enough, which is should shouldn't be true. But also, I think Raphael's a really strong character. So uh, I I see what Jan's saying. I think it's an artistic choice to to preserve the mystery because one of the fun things mm-hmm. about Piranesi uh, is that you don't know where he is. You don't right. know why he is acting that way, and the the first time. Uh, that, uh, oh, what's the other person in the world? Huh? Just call him the other, the other. Thank you. The one, the first time the other, uh, brings him shoes that say, you know, our our, our aquarium on them. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, okay. This is our world because he's bringing them aquarium shoes. But you know, where did they come from? Where did he come from? Like what are aquarium shoes? They're like reef shoes. Oh, so that didn't make sense to me, but I think that was a, a British perhaps perspective that I didn't didn't click. I'm like, why is he buying shoes at the aquarium gift store? Like, what is what are aquarium <laughs> shoes? I was very confused by that. Uh, yeah, you or you were like, wait, are these uh, platform heels with fish in the heels? That would be dope. Literally aquarium shoes. Um. I, I, it's so funny because I feel like I, I have this whole different world in my mind. Like the first 10 minutes or half an hour of listening to the audiobook was in such a different brain space for me. It yeah. was like a truly, I mean, it is a fantastical world. It is a truly fantastical world. It's another world. Yeah. It's another dimension of some sort. And there's a form of magic that gets you there. Right. But at the time you're like, oh, this is like some apocalyptic world or post-apocalyptic world right. or different universe and or is this no like relation a to our thing world. where it's yeah. just all allegorical and yeah. And then you slowly get pulled into this concept that there is a tie, there is a doorway mm-hmm. to our world. Um, and how did it get there? And still, we're still not super clear on how it actually got there. We know that there was like a lot of metaphysical bullshit happening, <laughs> but like what actually like caused this to happen? Like, yeah. so yeah, there's, I will say as much as I enjoyed this book, uh, the trope of, uh, the ancients uh, had had knew way more than we did, uh, and that secret knowledge was lost. Both fascinates and annoys me. It, it fascinates mm-hmm. me because I mean, who doesn't like the idea of like, ooh, secret ancient knowledge, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it annoys me because it does kind of perpetuate this idea of like, we're uh, modern humans are the, are the worst form of humans, and I'm like, 
dude, we're, we're pretty good at a lot of stuff. I mean, and we're not great at everything, trust me, but, uh, I go try to live in Roman times and, and see what you miss. I don't want to die of dysentery. I already <laughs> exactly, had tuberculosis. Right? I wouldn't last very long at all. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, uh, that, that's sort of like, oh, the ancients world, you know, science came and ruined everything. Sometimes, sometimes bugs me. And there was a little of that in there. Yeah, totally. So I guess that about wraps it up. I feel like we didn't get a strong show title in this episode. I feel like I wanted to be something trope related, but I need like a shoes. Mm. question mark the age of aquarium shoes (laughs) yeah that's it i'm writing that down right now (laughs) sometimes you just have to focus a little bit and like really kind of let it flow we did the post-show meeting in the in the show now you all excellent that's how the sausage gets made um and speaking of our show we are currently sausage speaking of sausage all the sausage gets bought by you or patrons. <laughs> I don't eat sausage. I'm a vegetarian. Thank you all the folks who back our show. If you would like to help support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. There is some delicious vegetarian sausage. There is. They're really beyond makes a good sausage. Mm-hmm. Impossible, I think, is working on a sausage. If you go to Rosa Monday here in San Francisco, they've got great links. Delicious. Yeah. You can also support the show by buying sausages. <laughs> there are links. Oh, uh, links to the sausages we talk too. about. And also some books, apparently, at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email, feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at swordandlaser. And you can join in on all the discussions at goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. We'll see you next time. Looking forward to your sausage recipes. Mm-hmm. Bye. Yes!